Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 99% where the real gains are made. I'm here with Elliot and Marilyn. You guys say hi. Hey, guys. everybody. <laughs> uh, I couldn't figure out who I did first last time, so I just I double shot it. Um, <laughs> so I um, I raced again last weekend. It was uh, yeah, good good chance to uh, keep practicing racing since I didn't get to practice it much last year. It was not a very big race, pretty small little race called the Sabago Lake Triathlon. It was an Olympic distance, beautiful lake, super clear water, but I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in the water and I take over the lead like 200 meters in, and then I'm swimming along kind of, kind of by myself leading the swim for, you know, it's like maybe the next thousand, 1200 straight. Now you're just bragging. Well, no, there's a guy on my feet who came around me. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> But in the middle of this thousand, I was like, man, this is, this is taking forever. Like I kept looking for the buoy and I'm like, okay, it's getting closer. And then I put my head down some a little bit, look again and be like, this buoy is not getting closer at all. And then I round the buoy and then this guy comes around me and we kind of finish together, which is, which is good fun. But as I'm coming around the buoy and I'm like, okay, finally heading in towards shore, I'm thinking, and I'm like, man, Amy asked me to do a 10 K swim in two weeks. And I'm like, I can't even get through a mile without getting bored. <laughs> How the heck am I going to do a 10 K in two weeks? Like I did a 2000 in the pool a couple of days ago. And I was like, even that was like mental toughness to do a 2k swim in a pool by myself. Yeah. So, um, a little distracted. Yeah. I'm like, man, what, <laughs> what, what am I going to do? How am I going to swim 10 K? Um, so I might have my first dip into some, some ultra endurance adventures with a, with a 10 K swim in two weeks, but I'm going to need to buy like underwater headphones or something. I don't know <laughs> what I'm going to do, like to just put my head down and swim. Like I might need to stop people every once in a while and have a quick chat to make the time go by for that one. I'm, I'm pretty nervous about my, uh, my first dip into ultra. And I also haven't been training for it. So I'm, I'm curious to hear if you guys think that's going to be okay or not. <laughs> Do you get somebody to chat with? Do you get like a boat, a follow boat? Uh, no follow boat, but Amy is probably going to do it as well. So at least there'll be two of us. So I'll have someone to swim with. Last I checked, Amy is a little bit faster at swimming than you. Yeah, I mean, I can, I can definitely hang on her feet in open water though. So for I'll the listener, okay. Jesse married up. His his wife was definitely a Division One distance swimmer, um, and a pretty pretty fast runner as well but, um, but yeah, she hasn't been training for it either. So we're, we're, uh, we're looking at diving into an ultra swim unprepared. So um, today we're talking about, we're talking about getting into ultras going, going longer, going longer than, I guess, if you consider marathons and Ironman and 70.3 kind of like within the realm of normal. normal. Yeah. Which maybe is, maybe isn't. We're talking about what happens when you push those boundaries and do something like a 10 K swim, or you do an ultra ultra distance triathlon, or you do something like unbound gravel or like a 200 mile bike, bike race. Or you run around a mountain or yeah, you do. Yeah. An ultra distance ultra run. Yeah. Um, so yeah, ultra and also Ram just happened as well. So there's, you know, there's, ultras on all sorts of levels happening right now. Um, and it's more, States. It's more popular than ever. Right. I mean, it's like, this used to be something that people were like, it's kind of like Ironman used to be the big daunting long thing. And now Ironman's like the norm and people are way, way, it, it used to be like a handful of select people that looked at these like ultra ultra events. And it was like, Oh God. And now it's, it's pretty popular. So I think it's a, it's a really important conversation. Yeah, it's definitely gaining gaining steam. The whole ultra community in every discipline is is really starting to roll pretty strong. So yeah, I guess uh, today we're not going to talk about my my poor choices with swimming. We're going to talk about um, can you go from let's say normal distances to ultras, and then maybe even the bigger question: can you come back from those ultra distances and race competitively at shorter distances again? Because we've had conversations in the past about how those kind of longer distances are basically where you went 
when you were about to retire. And even if you think about the marathon, that's what the marathon used to be, right? You, you run your last fast 10 K well, okay. You can't go fast anymore. So what do we put you out to pasture in the marathon? <laughs> right. I mean, the first time I was ever introduced to, um, Ultraman way, way back like early two thousands, um, Scott Molina and Gordo Byrne, they were, they were like the ones that were doing it. They both, they both won Ultraman. And that was the conversation back then between them. It was like, when you're, when you're sort of done going as fast as you possibly want to go in Olympic distance, half Ironman and Ironman, that's when you go and do Ultraman and then you finish your career. And it was just, that was the conversation though. And at that time, exactly what you're saying. It's like, if you're a 1500 meter runner, 800 meter runner in the track, and then you move up to the marathon, it was like, that's where you go when you're older and you're not able to go really fast anymore. But the reason we decided to have this conversation was like, I think that might not be true anymore. Right. I mean, we really want to talk about like, you know, has that changed and is that conversation changed quite a bit with more experience and more refined training. And, um, maybe we just decided those things a little bit too early. I think that can happen in sport, you know? Yeah. And I think it's also like the, the why, like you're talking about, like, why has that changed? And, in my mind, what I really like to get into is, is it the training leading up to these events? Is it, does it have to be maybe what we thought it had to be in the past? And is that what actually drug the athletes down and not maybe so much the one big day out there? I think you're on to something, Jesse. <laughs> Briefly. Yeah. I mean, if, if we go through the history, so I guess just for the person listening, so we're talking about really long swims. So five, 10 K swims, um, English super, channel. yeah. Like swimming the English channel, which is a heck of a lot longer than 10 K. Uh, I don't actually know off the top of my head. Is it like 31 miles, something I like that. Either, yeah. yeah. There's a swim across flathead Lake in Montana. I think that's about 27 or so miles and, and people do that. That's firmly in that realm. These, uh, the runs, I think a hundred mile running race, 50 mile running race, I feel like is somewhat similar to an Ironman. So very, very long, um, fully in the ultra category, I would say. But I think once you get to the hundred mile, then you're, you're into kind of like, this is way past, uh, an Ironman. It, it takes all day, even if you're fast or it takes, you know, more than a day. Um, and then Ultraman, if you're listening, I might be butchering the distances, Maryland, maybe hop in. So the first, it's a three-day event. Mm -hmm. You start with a 10K swim. Mm -hmm. Then you do a 90-mile bike ride, 86-mile bike ride. Yeah, I think so. The, uh, the exact distances, I'm not perfect on either. And then the next day, you only bike, but <laughs> you, you do the equivalent of, I want to say, it's like 190 miles or something silly. And then yeah. the third day, I know hundred percent is a, is a double marathon 50. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and obviously the course on the bike, um, but it's a three day event. You're allowed to sleep in the middle. In fact, sleeping is encouraged. It's basically, I guess sleeping's not mandatory, but you at least have a end of each day and then the beginning of the next. So that's a little bit different than some of these like ultra trail Mont Blanc, where the winners often are like 20, 21 hours but it's just, uh, you start early in the morning and you add sometime in midnight. And some of these races you start at midnight, which is not easy on your sleep cycle, um, mm -hmm. and carry on from there. So Jesse, your question, I got us a little off track, but your question was essentially like how 20 years ago when people did these races, essentially they just said, Oh, well, I just have to go further. And they basically did a hell of a lot of plotting. Is that, which is that, no matter what the discipline they said, Oh, I'm going to do a 200 mile bike ride. Well, then I'm going to train by doing a really slow 150 mile bike ride. Um, I'm going to do an ultra run. I'm going to run 30 miles, incredibly slow, multiple days in a row. And it turns out if you always go slow, you get relatively good at going slow, especially if you run, you, you do an event that's so far that you don't even have the capacity to go any sort of, uh, any sort of pace on it even if it's just what would normally be considered the kind of like your aerobic base pace, Marilyn, you're nodding. Yeah. I mean, I've actually coached 
a lot of people and for a, a quite a long time for Ultraman. I've coached one guy to two podiums at uh, Ultraman, a UK podium. And um, I was Hillary Biscay's crew person when she um, was top three overall at Ultraman World Championships and won the women's and set the course record. And um, I've coached a lot of a lot of people with like 100 mile running races, um, I have people doing the Leadville running race. And, um, so a bit of, and then, like I say, way back being around Gordo and Scott when they were doing it. So quite a bit of exposure to ultra distance. I myself have not done it, done one. I have no desire to go that long. I just re recently coached someone through unbound gravel, which was 200 miles and, you know, good long 15 hour day on the bike. So obviously that's pretty ultra on the bike as well. Um, and I think the training definitely the approach that I've taken for athletes on this stuff and, and had to be very successful isn't, is, is not just plotting, um, for endless hours and, and not that just endless going slowly, uh, week after week. That's, that's not something I've incorporated in any one of those people's programs from the beginning, even, even way back in the day. So definitely a different approach than, than do you what think, people might think. Do you think that might be the mindset of, you know, 30 years ago, how people would get ready for these longer things is like, well, to get ready, you need to do that long, slow distance. That's kind of like maybe the, the old school of thought, which in my mind is, has made that a place where people go and can't come back from. Like, would yeah. you agree that's the history? I, I do. And I, I think a lot of it is 30 years ago, you didn't know hardly anybody who'd done that. Like if you did a hundred mile running race, people were like, can you even do that? How right. are you gonna, where, where, like most of it? People were like, well, how do you pack your, your backpack? Like, like how, where are you going to sleep? Are you staying at a hotel? You know? And that was a lot of the conversation, um, back in the day. And in somewhat, even the same way as like the first time people did Ironman Hawaii and people are packing PB and J sandwiches and stuff like that. And then this is even further. So I think people felt the need to do these insane training efforts because they didn't even know if it was possible. Whereas now there's like a pretty large abundance of like, Oh, so-and-so did that. Oh, well, I'm so much faster than them at everything that even my easy, you know, well, I think that kind of comes across it once you know enough people who are doing them. And if somebody's winning a race or something and, and they gain confidence from the fact, Oh, if so-and-so can do that and this is what they did for training, maybe I just need to be really fit and have a good plan set up. And then on the day it's an insane effort. Um, but I think that, that knowledge, the institutional knowledge has kind of like let people take a sigh of relief and know that you just have to be really well prepared in multiple ways, but you don't necessarily have to do the event in order to prove you can do the event. Yeah. I think it's important that people, if, if you're going to do an all day event, um, and even possibly extend that past 24 hours in, in any way that you, you know what it's like to go all day long, more so from a nutritional standpoint of view. That's the biggest limiting factor um, for people is that there's a lot of GI distress and, and gut shutdown. And it's other things like your joints and, um, you know, sores and um, those kinds of things, you know, people who I've had friends who have done Ram really competitively. And it was things like they needed, you know, a neck, uh, uh, something to rest their chin in because their neck muscles had given out. And so, you know, it's, it's not necessarily about, you do have to know what it's going to feel like to be out there all day in some capacity, but a lot of it comes from if we're training the body to do that, like that needs to be strong enough to do that. And the endurance piece, I feel like you can overtrain the endurance piece, but you need to really address the nutritional aspects, the strength that it's going to take to, to do that. Like all of the pieces of your body that are, it's going to require to, to be out there all day. If you train that very well over just, Hey, can I go really, really long? So like, someone who's going to do Ram and their neck, there's fear of their neck muscles giving out, they should be doing neck exercises, right. And know what it, and have a strong enough neck to know that they can do that day after day. Um, those kinds of things. Efficiency of movement. It requires a lot of strength, which is kind of to your point. And 
if you don't have that efficiency of movement, and a lot of times you have to be going relatively high effort to really work on that. Um, and then you need that strength. So like basic core strength and having the ability to move in all these different ways and hold your posture. Like essentially you're just moving for so long, no matter what event you're doing and you need to be able to hold your posture. Cause your po if you have a good held posture, you can do your movement, whether it's swim, bike or run more efficiently. And if once you're like over the 10 hour mark of doing the same activity, everybody's tired. And, mm -hmm. and you, you're going to have nutrition, but then you just need to be efficient with the nutrition you have. Um, yeah. It's amazing how much your, your gut changes on those really, really long events, right? Like what you, I've seen people write out these absolutely like in a Google docs, perfect minute for minute nutrition plan for ultra running events. And I always say to them, that's really good up to about this amount of time. And then you need to have your like all hell is going to break loose. What are all my backup plans? Because from that point on, you don't really know what your body's going to be wanting, needing. Um, so it's, it's, you know, having the ability to do that and know what you're going to feel like after 10 hours on the bike, you know, what is that going to feel like? Like, how is your stomach going to be? What are you going to be able to handle? How are you going to be mentally? Those kinds of things. So those are the pieces that are, are really important to, to address and be well-trained in. I look at mostly from the event backwards is total number of hours and volume um, on a week to week basis. So something like you might have someone be doing like, you know, a 50, if we're taking a hundred mile running race, a 50 mile, a 50 mile week, we might do then an 80 mile week and then a hundred mile week. And then an easier week where it's, you know, a lot off the legs. And then the next week is maybe a, a little bit it might only be like a 60 mile week, but we do the weekend where we have a all day weekend. So it might be like a really big Saturday and really big Sunday, recover from that, and then go back into 80 mile, hundred miles. So you can cycle stuff like that with continued, you know, strength training, hill repeats, a little bit of like speed work, depending on the person and how they're able to handle it. But it's mostly about building up their overall durability for volume over like a year versus like if someone can do multiple, it's like if they can back up throughout their training cycles, hundred mile weeks, not back to back. It's not like, okay, let's do 300 mile weeks in a row. That would be a disaster as well. But it's like, if we can do a hundred mile week and then we cycle through some other stuff and then another hundred and they're repeatedly be able to handle those kinds of things. And then on the rest weeks, be able to handle big days. Like we're going to run for four hours on Saturday, and then we're going to go hike for five hours on Sunday. And then you're going to get three days recovery. And then we're going to go, you know, those kinds of things. Now the athlete is getting trained to have overall durability and endurance, but you're still keeping them really strong and not completely shelled from, from all, you know, like, oh, I'm just going to go run for eight hours um, or 10 hours or something like that. And then, you know, that, that to me doesn't have a huge impact on fitness or endurance. It's like one day, you know? Um, I don't know. Yeah. I, well, I'm going to jump in just cause I have a few interesting antidotes. So if, if you follow ultra running ultra trail Mont Blanc is essentially the unofficial world championships. There's, there's no race that's kind of bigger, has more press. Um, there's been two Americans who've been on the podium there. One I coached and the other was my running buddy. Cause he lived down the street and we met nice. in the morning. Yeah. And, um, the Montana Mikes anyways, they're both named Mike. And, um, to your point, much of the year is spent being really consistent and strong and, and getting in those miles. So like I was, I was only doing easy runs with the, the one I ran with, not the one I coached. Um, and and I was mostly cycling, but that that's besides the point. He was doing easy runs every morning and then he was big, doing bigger mountain runs. So he was essentially doing like the every person easy jog in the morning, no matter what kind of running you're doing. And then he's getting more time, more vertical in the evening. And this was in the middle of winter, he was doing it. And in the middle of summer, and it was really consistent. And then the one I, this is the one I didn't coach. And then he was doing massive like kind of one day or two day or three day, um, running efforts. And then he got second and then he got injured a whole bunch and nobody ever really heard from him again. The one I coached 
we did that same buildup, but we kind of did the opposite of what you said. And certainly it was influenced by the fact that I saw the other one crash and burn after, you know, he hit the peak and then he crashed and burned. At least he got there. Um, but it was that course has so much vertical gain. It's not really a running race, even though you have to be a good runner to be good at it. It's in a very fast hiking race with large chunks of running. And we built him up with consistent running mileage, but his biggest training was multiple days of extremely long hikes. Yeah. That's uh, I was, I mentioned the hikes. You know, yeah. And, and so like he would essentially do these insane backpacking trips as training for a hundred mile race and it kept him healthier and it kept him like more specific to the movement. Um, but if he were to try to drop down, I don't think that would be all that useful. I think that more consistent mileage would be useful. And I think that's kind of the interesting part of this conversation is you're like, okay, well that kept him healthy. And then since then he's been second at Leadville a couple of times. I mean, I didn't coach him during those ones. Um, but he was able to kind of like, you know, stay healthy and build and build and, and be successful in these really long challenging races. But if he were to, you know, run a 10 K he'd do all right. But compared to the level he is, it's not even comparable. You know, he'd have trouble making a college cross country team. Um, so what's kind of your guys's thoughts on like the various sports of the ways you can bounce back and forth. And cause that consistency you talked about where you're getting in those miles every week is a great foundation and what you kind of need to survive at the high level of those long running races. And I would say the same goes for the swim and the bike ones. Um, but yeah, I'm going to shut up and let you guys talk. I guess my, um, my experience in coaching athletes to, since we're talking about ultra running mm -hmm. has been more of those doubles or even like triples in a weekend. And so no run is ever super long, but maybe they're getting in, um, six hours of running over the weekend, as opposed to like what, what I've seen people do in the past would be like, what you guys are talking about, like that one big eight hour running day, as opposed to, again, to what you're saying, like an eight hour hiking day, which is, I think has a very different connotation. Um, it was more and, like a 15 hour hiking day, or but yeah, yeah. Um, it's a long walk. Right. Um, and I think it has different, you know, you're not working on your aerobic system anymore. If you're going for a long walk, right. You're working on your muscular ability to handle for sure moving for 15 hours. Um, and I think that the chunking up of, of those runs where you can still run fairly fast or like decently faster. And then your recovery from that is much different than doing that six or eight hour long run. So you can still get in a little bit of intensity in the week somewhere that's what I found can be helpful to bump athletes up to be able to run an ultra and also still keep them close enough so that when they want to come down, they've maintained a little bit of that speed work. And it might just be, you know, whatever, some strides during the week or something where they're keeping that turnover up, but it kind of keeps them in touch with everything a little bit. And, you know, they're not ever running anything crazy. So they're not ever super fatigued. So they can't do a little bit of that intensity but they can say, okay, I've run six hours over the weekend, so I can jump up and do an ultra and be competitive. And, and, you know, as long as the other things you guys have talked about, like nutrition and strength work are all cornerstones of what they're doing. So they can handle the longer distance. Um, yeah, I don't know that that's what I found. It has really helped me move people up and then back down somewhat successfully. And yeah, I guess I'm, I'm talking about like, maybe nothing as crazy as like the, um, the race you're talking about yet, but just, yeah, I don't it's know. I don't, the, but, yeah. The distance. Well, and also if you're talking about somebody who's winning UTMB, that's very similar versus somebody doing a more normal hundred miler. Who's not a full-time athlete. Yeah. Right. So I don't know what you guys well, think about I mean, like you, the, you and I were saying the same thing, Jesse, but I was talking more about like cycling those through. So like, you know, the, what the norm would be. And then, mm -hmm like adding like in once the athlete is recovered having those days where they spend all day on their legs so that they know what it feels like and then cycling through like the norm would be you know that's what i was saying is like what you're talking about there but it just is in chunks and cycles um so i'm not sure if does that make sense yeah totally. i think i guess i'm curious like 
so just, I'm going to make, do use a clear example? Like, so often these guys would be racing every like three to five weeks and the races in and of themselves. Like if you're doing a 50 miler as training, I'm using air quotes for your hundred miler, um, or you're doing a smaller hundred miler that's not as intense and you're going in, uh, either with the intent to not treat it as an all out race, or like in these guys' cases, they kind of knew they could win without going very hard. So it's a, it's a training race training effort we would essentially have like three weeks of really consistent training, not trying to do anything too crazy. And then you'd only do a real brief rest, a handful of days, do the event, have a big rest. Cause you just maybe ran 50 miles in a day mm-hmm. and then get like, but for them, a big rest might only be five days off their feet. Um, and then they get kind of right back into it and, right. they're, but they're using those events to get ready for. And if they don't have an event, then in that case, often they would be doing some of these really big hiking days. Um, and eventually if they got strong enough, they'd be doing those big hiking days, like twice a week within their weekly training. Of course you need to have all day to train if you're going to do that. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious, like, how does that compare contrast? Cause like one of the two people I'm talking about, like they got real fast, but also injuries piled up you know, and, and getting injured doesn't help you do anything. Right. I, I guess I, um, yeah, I think I, I'm side a little bit more towards a little bit of intensity in there where say my, my long runs, it might have three by 30 minutes of like, uh, just to use a, a word that we don't like to use a tempo effort in there, um, where they're, <laughs> you know, they're moving along pretty well. And then, and then like the next day could be just like maybe a more endurance run or I'll even flip it where they get the endurance run first. So they're going into that tempo session on tired legs and they've got to still try and perform, but there's always a little bit more of that intensity in their, in their weekend cycles. And, and to Marilyn's point, I wouldn't do that every weekend. They wouldn't be like, Oh, well, what we're gonna do is run six hours every weekend. We're just going to break it up. Um, you know, I'm just giving like, say one big weekend as an example here, um, to talk about, but yeah, I would say that I would in the, I've had success with including a little more intensity and keeping the volume a little bit lower overall, like from the hours standpoint, uh, leading in. So maybe they're going in like, man, I'm not confident that I can run a hundred miles or 50 miles or hundred K whatever it is. But I'm like, listen, like you've, you've done enough work. You've done enough back to back days where it's going to work and they get to the race. And as long as we have a pacing strategy, that's appropriate, then they, they come out like, being pleasantly surprised with how well they respond. Um, so it's kind of like to wrap up the, the running aspect, my general thought listening to you guys. And from my own experience, you definitely can like do these long races and have it like benefit you in terms of durability as you drop down, if you're, if you're going to go long and then come back, but it's, it's not an easy problem to solve, um, for running in particular. Right. And it, it can be done, but like you said, Jess, you're like, you have to be pretty particular about just how long you go and where you include this very amount of speed, various amount of speed work and just how big you go. And then you have to always make sure you, you know, you lived the actual event or post event because they're so damaging. So cycling obviously has some of some, some similar things, but a lot is totally different because there's not nothing quite as jarring unless you're crashing. Um, so what's your guys' thoughts on kind of like going long on the bike like let's use unbound since it's everybody's kind of been talking about it the last few weeks, um, as a, as a way to do that. And I think we've all coached somebody who's, who's done that and done pretty well as well. To, to take a quick step back here to talk about a little bit more in general in any endurance event, one yeah. thing we touched on earlier, and I think is especially kind of relevant to, to any sort of like gravel race like that is that overall strength and conditioning. And I think that's maybe a piece that wasn't as there 30 or 40 years ago, but if someone is going to do an, an ultra in any capacity, I would say that strength training needs to be a, a key in their program and, and how that looks is going to be pretty different for the athlete. But, you know, for someone who's going to race unbound, they need to have shoulders, right? They need to be able to hold themselves up on the bike. And that's going to be pretty hard for a while. Um, and so I think, yeah, do any, in any of these realms, like whether it's, it's running where people, maybe if you don't have the time to do 
these crazy, like the long stuff every weekend, but you can still get some of that like muscular endurance, muscular durability by making sure you're super strong from doing some, some really solid gym sessions. Yeah. Your strength because of being on the inside and knowing like the guys, um, like Scott and Gordo back then, they did a ton of strength training. They actually did more strength training, even when they were Ironman athletes, than a lot of the Ironman athletes that I know now. Um, those guys were, those guys were in the gym a lot. Dave Scott, um, Scott Molina, Gordo, all those guys, they were, I mean, I did some, I've still got them like some gym workouts with those guys that I mean, if I tried them now or had my athletes do them, they would be crushed by them. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of leg press, a lot of upper body stuff, a lot of plyometrics, all those kinds of things. Um, so definitely I think now that doesn't apply to everyone, obviously, but just to, just to like give a little inside. Cause I, you know, saw them do it, um, with that. So I think to your point that, that, that does make a big difference. Awesome. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> but I would say like cycling in terms of uh, running is obviously going to always be way more tricky, like running. I don't know if you're, if you're running ultras and then try and go back to like a fast 10 K, um, let's even break it down, come back from ultra back to a fast Ironman. I think, I think going ultra and then back to a fast Ironman is they're pretty close together to one another because so it just, I think that is easier transition. If you're going to go from like ultras to try and run like a fast 10 K that's going to be a little longer process and trickier and probably pretty age dependent as well. Um, and so I think, you know, that's a different conversation. I feel like with the bike stuff and the swim stuff, it's an, a completely different conversation, like a completely different conversation. I think you can ride a 200 mile race and the amount of intensity you can do on the bike in your week to week training and be able to do a 200 mile race. It's not even the same. It's not even the same sport as running. I don't know what you guys think about that. For sure. I mean, I agree. Um, it's definitely not the same sport. And I think the other thing you have to think <laughs> well, about, we were talking, we were talking sorry. about Ram earlier, like race across America, but like a grand tour is three straight weeks of riding three and a half to seven hours a day, really hard day after day after day. I mean, yeah. a grand tour kind of is an ultra event in a lot of senses. And yeah. the person who sets like, it's, it's very common for one of the top five guys in the world, five women in the world. Um, in the, in the pursuit, which is a four minute event to be someone who can win a grand tour. So like the same person who yeah. can go the fastest for four minutes on a bicycle is the same person who can, can win the tour. And that's just like, oh, okay. Like, cause it's depth of strength on a bike and there's not like this need to support yourself where, where you just have to be on your feet for so long. Um, and that's always just been really interesting to me. And it, it's almost like you have to be properly prepared for the, for the four mile or for the 4k it's four minutes or cause they ride like 60 K an hour, which is really fast. Um, <laughs> and, um, if you're properly prepared for a four minute race, you need a tremendous amount of endurance because just because of like how much force you're asking your body to put out over those four minutes. And it turns out you need just like long ride after long ride after long ride after long ride. And then if you can do that and you can go really fast, you can, you can win a grand tour, you can win unbound, which is a 10 hour race, even though essentially you need to be well prepared for like a four to 15 minute effort. Um, is that so, what you guys kind of see or thoughts well, on let's, that? Let's switch gears to like people that, you know, have jobs and probably yeah, aren't winning sure. grand tours. So let's say, you know, you, you can do a century and you're looking at jumping up to something like unbound, which, you know, is a, a lot longer than your standard, say 200 miles of riding. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think that person might say, man, do I need to go out and ride 150, 160 miles in preparation for this? And yeah, I guess. So what are you guys thoughts on that? If you were going to, Let's in, in using this example, how would you bridge that gap from someone who can go a hundred miles on the road, say, to getting to the finish line of unbound? Um, I, I yeah. think that's a really important point that you just made is that 
there is a big difference between 200 miles on the road and 200 miles on dirt. Um, so 200 miles on the road, you know, that's for, let's say for the same person, it might be, you know, eight hours on the road. It might be 14 hours. Yeah, that's a pretty handy person, obviously, but like, but, <laughs> well, but in a group. I, I mean, I have, I'm talking about a specific athlete I coach. So I know like if, if she, you know, was going to do a 200 mile race on the road, she might be somewhere between eight and nine hours, but then on a course like unbound where it's really steep, it's a lot, it's technical, steep hills, um, dirt is slow, that kind of stuff, you know, 14, 15 hours. So that I think 14, 15 hours on the bike is really different than eight or nine hours on the bike. I know it doesn't sound like a big gap, but it's really different. And the big difference is how much gravel beats you up. I mean, the road is smooth and there's, you know, a bit of coasting time. The concentration isn't as high. Like you mentioned, it's not as hard on your upper body. You can relax your upper body most of the time on dirt. It's, you know, you get the washboard, the sand, um, you know, the technical aspects, all that stuff. So it's, it's a much different event. And I think there's a big difference between 15 hours and that, like I've done seven and a half, eight hours on the bike a lot and I'm fine in a couple of days, but I think 15 hours on dirt, I think that would take a minute to get over. <laughs> um, and I think also too, we talked about nutrition a little bit earlier. I think the windows of nutrition, like, I feel like there's like, okay, you go for four hours and you kind of hit like this, this low point. And then it's like, maybe you go for another three hours, you hit another low point and then it's another two hours and then it's another one hour. So the, that the nutrition gets harder and harder and harder. And it's like, it gets harder, more infinitely faster the longer you go. Right. So yeah. Does that, yeah. does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Your body, what it, what it could accept for six hours, you know, an hour, like 12, your stomach's like, no, <laughs> no, this is, this uh, needs something completely different. Yeah. It's just the lot the higher your heart rate is, the less blood is going to your gut, the less blood that's going to your gut, the harder it is to digest. And the longer that goes on, the more problems you have. Um, so your question, Jesse, is like how many times, like if you're going to do a 200 mile gravel race, how many 150 mile gravel rides do you need? You might not need, you know, I think for somebody who ha has a normal life, you can probably get away with somewhere between zero and one. If you're doing much more than one, you're probably going to be exhausted. Um, but you probably do need to have, you know, a fair amount of rides in the six to nine hour range so that as Marilyn mentioned earlier, like you can get as far with pretty good nutrition as possible. Cause I feel like the ultra races we're talking about right now, it's like, everyone's going to be in a plane crash. The question is, are you getting out of that plane crash? Like with a, with a GPS and a hatchet and you're still in the middle of nowhere, or are you getting out and you're like naked and it's cliffhanger and there's somebody chasing you with a gun, right? Like, <laughs> so like if you can get to that eight, nine hour point, and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm good because I've trained this. I know, you know, I know I can do this effort this long. I know I can fuel and I know I can get home and I'm going to be real tired at the end, but like chafing's not going to be an issue. My neck is only going to be a little sore. Like if you can get to that point and maybe that's like my 125 of unbound or something like that. And then at a certain point, if you've gone past that more than a couple times a year, you're probably over training. And you're not doing yourself any good. Um, and you guys are both nodding. So I'm just going to keep talking, but, um, <laughs> that's, I get, I think that's kind of like my baseline. If, if this is not something you're doing all day, every day, if this is, you know, essentially for fun, for your hobby, um, that that's where I would go, you know, zero to one times, but just get, get as, you know, get to that six to eight hour point in one piece. It's the best piece you can be. And then from there, it's just a lot of biting your lip and figuring it out. And as Marilyn said earlier, like have all these options or you're like, okay, when, when everything goes haywire, I have four food items and they're all totally different. And I don't know if I'm going to eat beef jerky or Swedish fish or some sort of like weird concoction of like peanut butter and God knows what, but you have four different things. My girl at Unbound that just did it, she, someone offered her pizza and she was like, at one point at a stop and she was like, no, I don't, I don't think so. And he was like, just take it with you just in case. So she jammed the pizza in her Jersey or whatever. And like, <laughs> a, 
two hours later, she was like, I really want that pizza. And she did eat it. And it was like a lifesaver for her. So, I mean, you're exactly right. You might, you might not know exactly what it is that you can stomach and want an ultra runner who's probably not going to want a slice of pizza, but an ultra biker definitely might at that like 13 hour mark. Well, haven't, haven't you ever read Dean Carnass's book? He orders pizzas and gets delivered to himself along the way. So some ultra runners might, you never know. I actually was, I was out on a hike around the Wonderland trail and there was a group of people trying to set the Wonderland trail record. And me and my buddy kept leapfrogging him. And then we got to our campsite like halfway through and they got to a little Caesar's pizza. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And I just remember I was like, man, you know, we had like dried food in our packs and everything. And we were about to go camp the night and wake up, but they were running through the night. So little Caesars it was. And we, we, they gave us one slice each. They had one to spare. And I remember I was like, oh, I could see eating half this pizza right now and continue on running. Um, but I do think that- the ultra bikes that you, you, it is necessary to do quite a bit of intensity. Um, and sure. so like someone like a normal, like you say, like with a normal, like nine, they've got a job, they've got a family, all that stuff. And so if they can incorporate quite a bit of intensity throughout the week and, um, you know, working different energy systems. And then they do the, you know, like we talked about on the run doing back-to-back really big days on the weekend. Um, so they're really time efficient through the week and, and keeping that intensity high, keeping their strength high, and then getting the volume and the time that they need on the weekends. I think you can be really successful at a, a big event, like, you know, 200 mile races, 150 mile races on gravel or road. And, and you can do quite well at the events, handle them well. And then I think once you've rested up and recovered from the event, transitioning back to say like a shorter race, a criterium, um, road races, that kind of stuff, the transition isn't, it's seamless. You know, it, it really isn't because you, you have this huge base of endurance. Once you recover from it, you've kept a lot of intensity and strength to get there. And, and it's really not as tricky as like we were talking about the ultra running events coming from like hundred mile races and then getting back down to like, say, equivalent would be like a five or a 10 K, uh, really fast. That's a much trickier transition than, you know, if you're doing these ultra long bikes, transitioning back to being able to race a crit really fast. I, I think that can happen pretty easily and pretty quickly. The, the more I, like, I know the people I've coached who were like one guy in particular is a pro cross racer and he did, um, unbound basically cause he knew he was going to retire and had never really done i mean he'd he'd done a handful of mountain bike races in the two three four hour range but in road races as well but not much over that um and obviously unbound is much much longer but it's just like the higher your threshold the better so the more time you can spend in the week and he was working full-time at this point but it was just i was just like okay well we need to make sure you knew how to eat but he only had so many so much time to do these longer rides so he only did like five rides over 80 miles um, but we did have time to just do an insane amount of threshold. So as normally he'd be like working on start practice in a crit or working on his accelerations, all those workouts just turned into threshold, more threshold, more threshold. And it was just like, how much threshold can we have you do? And can we make sure it's making you stronger, not weaker? And sure his sprint didn't go great, but like after that he did jump into some races and he was like, Oh, I'm climbing as good or better than ever before. Um, until Phil Guyman made a video about stealing all his KOMs in Vancouver, but anyways, that's neither here nor there. Um, but yeah, the threshold that's, uh, is- that's kind of cool to hear you say that, Elliot. That's basically like what I have in my notes. Like, well, you know, if you can do some long rides, that's that's great. But if you only can ride like four or five hours a, a few times, like back to back on the weekends, and you can ride a or bunch of like. Parts. Yeah. Yeah. Or even once it, and but you have those like where you're riding pretty hard, you're getting that muscular endurance with a fair amount of uh, sweet spot or threshold work. Um, and then doing a ton of that. So like muscularly you can handle it. And then, you know, like, like you said, making sure you you've gone out there, if you can go along like, you know, once or twice so that you've practiced fueling, you know, then, you know, the more times you can do that, sure. It might be, might be better to, figure out like what you need to do for your neck and shoulders and, you know, staying strong in those places, but you can still get through fairly successfully. I'd say with, you know, a fair amount of intensity just to carry you through like muscularly. So we're actually saying that, you know, based on the two conversations between run and bike, they're really different, right? You couldn't just 
you know, we talked about having to have those long hikes and pretty long runs to be able to do a hundred miler, but we're saying on the bike, if you're doing a lot of intensity and just get a little bit of back-to-back long riding or one or a couple of long days, you can on the bike, you can get through these really long events. And that would, that would jive really well with, okay, it's much easier to come back to the short, hard stuff. If it's a, a long, um, you know, type ultra bike event versus running. So really, really different, you know, really, if you're looking at ultra running versus ultra cycling events, pretty different. And I, I think too, with the ultra running, there's like kind of the line Elliot was mentioning earlier, where 50 miles, hundred K, like maybe you can get away with those if they're fairly flat with, without doing the, the big heights and the longer stuff, maybe you can just do a little more intensity, some slightly longer stuff, and then make a pretty big jump into those and be okay. But when you push that up to the hundred mile, then it's like, okay, you need to have a ton of time on feet. And so I think there is maybe still a delineation there. And I think, I think one thing that we're saying is maybe that delineation is a little further out than you used to maybe before you'd say, okay, if you're going to do a 50 miler, you're going to go slow and you're going to do these 12 hour all long days. Maybe you don't need quite that much for that. Maybe you still do need some pretty big time on your feet days for a hundred miler. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, So that's interesting. So you're essentially, I mean, I guess I agree, but you're saying, people used to think you just had to do insane miles to do a 50 miler. And now people are saying, no, you just need to be fit and have a cut, maybe one or two runs over marathon distance. And then you get it done on the day because you're fit and you have a really good plan and you know what your nutrition is. And that is not that much different than marathon training and marathon training is not that much different than 10 K training. Um, I mean, at the highest level, some people basically say 10 K marathon training is damn near the same thing. Um, and that, and then, I, yeah. So, but then once you go longer, for sure, it becomes different. Whereas, and maybe that tweak, maybe that tweak isn't, I mean, it's definitely a bigger tweak than the other ones, but maybe it's not as insane as people need to make it. Um, and one of the things I also have written down here that is kind of contrary to what Marilyn said. So I was, um, I'm trying to poke the bear here, see if I can get her to come back over the top. Um, I have, uh, I have kind of, the idea of maybe you don't need this giant build for a hundred miler. Maybe you have to have fitness for, for years, right? You need to have been training, maybe do some marathons or Ironmans or whatever. So you, you're a fit person going in with years of consistency, but then maybe you can do a fairly short, steep build, hit a few longer days and then complete a hundred miler and then, you know, come back down from that. And so maybe it doesn't need to be, be this, um, yeah. I don't know. So do you think I'm crazy? No, I don't think you're crazy. I think it's athlete dependent The The one athlete that I've a couple athletes that I've tried that with the injury risk is pretty high. Um, and it depends on how, so you've got someone who's really durable and you can, you can ramp up that kind of build that's going to be necessary for that. Um, then, then they're going to, I've seen that work for sure. Just, and like you say, consistency of volume over years. So if you've got someone who's been training for 20 years and they've done, you know, 30 Ironmans or 50 Ironmans, that short build is likely enough. Um, if you've got someone who has, is a little bit more injury prone or has a lot less overall run volume in their life, in their legs, then I think that build, it's going to take, it's going to take a full year to get them durable enough to be able to handle the training that is what's going to be required for them to handle a hundred mile day that is, is pretty hard on them. So I don't think you're crazy at all. I think it just, it, it's like anything, it depends on the athlete and, and their history and you know, how they are injury wise and those kinds of things. And that's specifically yeah. with, I, and actually that is with cycling too. I mean, if you've got someone who's ridden their bike for 20 years and they've done a million long rides and Ironmans and all days on the bike, you're not going to need a, you know, a full year of cycling to get them ready for something like that. It's like, Hey, we just need, you know, a certain number of weeks, few big rides and you're ready to go. Cause you've been doing this forever. Yeah. Just take your road bike and head up to Prescott for a weekend and go out there for a few hours. You'll get ready. I drugged Jesse out on, I didn't even, I didn't even tell him what we were doing. I said, Hey, you want to do this long gravel ride with me? And he's like, sure. I've only got a road bike. I said, ah, sweet. You'll be fine. Eight and a half hours later in 95 degrees. He's like, we're not friends anymore. 
But I do feel like I could leapfrog from that one ride to, uh, you know, something like a 200 mile. It'd probably be all right. You're drilling it on the Tuesday ride two days later. And I was like, I'm kind of tired. <laughs> I feel a bit tired from that day. <laughs> oh my God. So it works, Jesse. Yeah, I'm ready. So Marilyn coached you up. It took one <laughs> ride, just like we were saying. I mean, I said earlier, it might only take one really yeah. long ride like that. Um, I think that's a good point. I do think in terms of, uh, so we're kind of like, as you go back for riding, you know, Marilyn said, yeah, you can go right back. I think you can go to the shorter distances post really long ride relatively quickly. But I think the big thing you need to make sure is, did you recover from the effort? And depending on how the day goes and like, you know, how much time you're spending alone, how much vertical there is the weather and how you executed that day. Some people are going to be good to go in like five days, reasonably speaking, probably not many people, but some people are still going to be tired three weeks later and are going to have trouble like hitting any sort of base threshold work. And if you're trying to make a transition back to let's say crits or an hour time trial, or, you know, or a half Ironman, that still requires like quite a bit of intensity and it's going to be hard to do that if you're not fully recovered. So just kind of figuring that out and, and you're not going to know the answer till you, till you live through it, but just being aware, you might need to give yourself, you know, a month, um, of pretty low volume and intensity post that massive effort. Yeah. I think that's, that's across the board too, right? You need to ex- respect the big efforts that you do in, in any discipline and make sure you're hundred percent recovered from them before you try and step on the gas pedal, um, you know, if you don't want to break yourself. I think that's one thing people have known, like for all of the time, like you hear about somebody go on like some crusade and like they walked across the continent and then they laid in bed for two weeks or, you know, something like that. And that's just how people did it. I know my grandma, that's what she'd say. Oh, you tired yourself out. You've got to sit down and take a rest. Um, and I think that's good (laughs) advice to heed when you're doing these big, long events. Like it's, it's, you're going to need to back off pretty for a while till, and you'll know once you, once you're back to normal, you'll kind of feel it. I do think like, let's talk even one step further about that is like the swim. I think again, is like completely different, right? I mean, you're saying you're, you know, you're going to go out and do this 10 K swim with Amy. I think that's probably something with your swim background. You've been a swimmer your whole life, right? You've raced multiple Ironmans. You probably do a lot of like six K sets in the pool, five K sets in the pool on a pretty regular basis. I'm guessing you can, or maybe not. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm guessing you can probably jump into a 10 K swim off the, it's not off the couch, obviously, but like relatively, like you don't need to change much. You can just jump in and swim 10 K and your recovery is probably going to be no big deal. And able to, if you were going to jump in a sprint triathlon, you wouldn't really notice too much from doing a 10 K swim. Would you agree? Yeah, I would agree. You know, my shoulders might be sore um, and I might not finish the 10 K super strong without a ton of swim training. But I think, like you said, I'd, I'd be fine and I could bounce back pretty quickly. And I think, you know, p- swimming is like that, right? It's, it's low impact. So if you have an aerobic engine, then you could probably like be fine and, and get through longer swims like that. I mean, English channel, something crazy long, you know, you, maybe not, but but doing a 10 K where it's not a huge, crazy amount of time. It's just about, um, trying to stay as efficient as you can in the water. Then, then, yeah, I think, I hope, I mean, I'm telling myself I'll be fine. So how many, times, disagree. How many times have you done a hundred by a hundred? Zero. Oh, really? Yeah. But I'm assuming you swam 10 K occasionally, like on a long Saturday practice or something in college. I only during like i'd say probably only in in like two a days did i ever hit that oh, okay yeah yeah that's fair but I, i'm yeah but even still you're within your longest workouts ever are like within 3k of a 10k and obviously yeah. your aerobic engine you're used to going two and a half hours basically every day so from a aerobic standpoint that's not the issue it's just you've got the stroke it's more just staying focused and swimming straight yeah, I think you know muscular endurance might be a little low because you guys are are talking about these big swims that I haven't done since you know Tulsa Prep, which is now pretty far away. Um, but but it's I within think the year, 
Well, true. Okay. But yeah, this, I think that's the beauty of swimming versus the other sports is like, even, even with riding, like, like you were saying, like, you know, I could jump in a 10 K swim. I haven't ridden over two and a half hours mm-hmm. since maybe once since Tulsa, but I could, I could probably go do a 160 mile ride and I would be tired, but if I ate enough, I'd be fine. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I'm curious. I, I did a, I did a 10 K open water swim as a, actually when I was just, I wasn't even doing like I wasn't doing endurance sport anymore. I'd stopped doing endurance sport for quite a while as after I retired, I had a knee surgery and I was like, I need to do something while I recover from this knee surgery. So I just like would swim with a pool boy and a band all the time. And, um, I swam, I literally just started swimming again and swam for maybe, I think it was like eight weeks. And then I went and did the double rough water off the Waikiki beach. And yeah. And I'm not a good swimmer. And so my only concerns were is like, as long as I pace myself accordingly so that I don't cramp, I'll be okay. That's all I cared about. I was like, as long as I just keep swimming and I don't cramp, I'll be all right. And, and I was, I was fine. So I think, you know, again, as we go through them, I would never do that with the run, right? Like I wouldn't be like, <laughs> Oh, I'll just jump in a hundred mile race of eight weeks of training and not doing anything for you know, three years, I would, that would be like a suicide mission, but on the swim, I felt pretty comfortable with that. I was like, well, I've swam enough my whole life. And as long as I go slowly, I'll be all right. Yeah. So swimming, I feel like is probably the lowest barrier to entry, um, to get ready for But I also think like, there's probably less benefit to doing a 10 K swim. If you're trying to get ready for like an Olympic distance swim, or even a half Ironman, I don't think doing a 10 K swim where your form is essentially going to fall apart and you're, you're basically kind of just trudging through, um, that's not going to help you much long-term, you know, like, sure. If you've got a broken leg, it's going to make your heart strong, but it's not going to help your stroke and you need an efficient stroke to swim fast at these shorter distances, even, even considering an Ironman swim, a shorter distance, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, but that's, that's the topic of the day. Um, so yeah, maybe don't, don't do the English channel. If you're trying to improve your 200, that's that, my that does pose an interesting question. I know people are probably getting sick of hearing us talk, but, um, do you think there is a benefit from any of these when you go back down? I think, yeah, the biggest one is the, the longer rides, the depth of strength is just like, until you've done it, um, it might sound kind of crazy, but like the aerobic endurance and just the, like the amount of times you can pedal and pedal and pedal and put out reasonable amounts of force. Or some of these days where you have, you know, 15 K of climbing, which is like half of an Eversting and it's steep climbing. So you're essentially climbing at threshold those days of just massive like threshold. And then once you've recovered from that, it just kind of opens up a new horizon. Um, one, I think one, actually physiologically, but also to kind of like mentally, emotionally, however you want to look into it. And it's hard to describe until you've kind of done one of those longer ones. Well, where you've had a day where you have eight hours and you're just like smashing it at a level you've never done before. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get into a crit or you get into a road race and you're like, Oh, this road race is only three and a half, like whatever. It's like a 90 mile road race or a hundred, you know, it's not that long. And then all of a sudden the idea of just like going on crazy insane attacks early from the gun is just feasible because it's so much less than what you've done before. Yeah. That was, that was a softball that I wanted you to say that answer to, cause I totally agree. <laughs> <laughs> is that a good ending point then? I feel like Marilyn, I'm assuming you agree more or less. Totally, I know you've yeah. heard the same thing. Yeah. 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 The only thing I was going to add to that is we, uh, you know, in Tucson, we have the, the new year's ride. That's was like 150 ish, 160, something like that. Mm-hmm. And I always think it's such a great way to start the year because you know it makes those four hour rides feel short. And you know, even though you're t- no, totally not ready for that first big one, it just sets the tone for the year. And um, yeah, it makes those four hour rides feel good. So I think awesome. I think probably like the big takeaway from today is maybe going ultra isn't where we go to die. Um, <laughs> Cause we started the conversation with that, right. Is like, right, we yeah. don't have a lifeguard. Jesse might yeah. be a goner. <laughs> it was a pre, you know, back in the day was like, Oh, if you're going to go that long, that's where you go out to pasture. You know, we said that at the start of the conversation, it's like, maybe that's not, you know, 
things have evolved enough and the training's gotten refined enough to, to be able to say, actually, you can do, if you're careful about it and you understand the difference between swim, bike and run, then you can do incorporate some of this really cool ultra stuff and come back and be certainly really fast at Ironman and, and potentially really fast at even the shorter stuff. And, you know, the big thing to look into and make sure that you really do your research on is the really long runs. But, you know, I think, I think that there's room to play around more than what we thought. Agreed. Totally. That was a great ending point. Good job. All right. Thanks guys. Thanks for spending the afternoon with me. It was, uh, it was great to catch up and talk about ultras. Sweet. Thanks, Have guys. a good one. Thanks. Oh, and in just podcast notes, if you like this podcast, please like it. Please tell your friends, uh, leave a review. We'd love to have some reviews on there. So thank you guys for listening. And yeah, please help uh, spread the word. Thanks, guys. Bye.